Today's Old Testament reading is from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 27 through 31. It can be found on page 720 in your pew Bible. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. In his understanding, no one can fathom. Give strength to the weary and increase the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will, soar, they will soar on wings like eagles, will run and not grow weary, they will walk and not be faint. This is the word of the Lord. The New Testament passage is Mark 4, 35 to 41, and it begins on page 1005 of the Pew Bibles. That day, when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was, in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Sherman Street. Um, as you've heard this morning, today is the first Sunday of Lent. Um, Lent begins on Ash Wednesday, which was last Wednesday. Hopefully some of you got some ashes on your forehead uh, that day. And it goes for, it goes for 40 days, um, and that doesn't count Sundays. So it only counts six days of each week. And the reason is because Sundays are always feast days. So if you gave something up for Lent this year, you can do it today. Uh, you can go nuts. Unless you gave up something sinful, you're never supposed to do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, there are seven Sundays in Lent, and each week we're going to be going through a question that Jesus asked. Um, do you know that Jesus asked over 300 questions in the Gospels? That's a crazy number of questions. 
Um, we picked six to focus on, only six, because next week Tony and I will be out of town. I think you'll still have a question to reflect on, but the sermon won't be directly um, about it. Um, anyway, we're hoping that each week you will take the question with you. Actually, we hope, we hope that you'll look at it before um, in the week leading up. And if you have one of those little packets, if you got one of the little packets that we gave out already, or if you can get one after the service if you haven't, they're at the back of the narthex. Um, they have a little packet inside them of, of all the questions, on one per piece of paper, so you can put it on your bathroom mirror in your pocket or wherever you might see it, um, so that you can ask it of yourself um, throughout the week. Maybe take some time to sit with it. Um, maybe journal about it. And try to give yourself the time and space to answer it honestly. Um, not to just flit past the answer, but to really engage it. Um, we have called this series uh, Cultivating and Letting Go, in part because that seems to be what questions do for us, is kind of clear the space so that new things can grow. Um, as I thought through uh, the questions and we planned this season, uh, I found myself having this kind of surprising reaction, maybe not that surprising. Uh, like our question today is, why are you so afraid? And I don't know if you are like me, but I get a little defensive immediately, like, I'm not afraid, you're afraid. Uh, <laughs> even May this morning, I, I was working on my sermon and she came down, she was talking to me, and I said, I told her my sermon was called, Why Are You So Afraid? And she immediately said, that's so mean. <laughs> um, she also, this is neither here nor there, but she also, we talked about the story for a little while and why the disciples were afraid and the things that she gets afraid of. And I was like, by the end, I was like, May, you pretty much just summarized my whole sermon. And she, got, she said, well, why do you use so many words? <laughs> she saw it on my computer and said, don't ever read that to me. Like, not ever. <laughs> I was like, thanks. Thanks, May. Anyway, so like, maybe it's, maybe everybody has this kind of defensive reaction um, to these kinds of questions. But I also noticed that if I like take a breath um, and maybe consider that the question might come in love, then the question invites me into something else. Then it becomes an invitation into truth, maybe a truth that I've been too preoccupied to take a clear look at. Why am I so afraid? Because I'm definitely afraid. For each of the questions, I have that kind of reaction. I get defensive, and then when the defensiveness settles, the invitation remains to settle into some truth and to be with Jesus there. And so I'd encourage you over these next weeks to sit with a question long enough to let the defensive se defensiveness settle and then try for an answer. Not an easy answer, um, like, oh, right, I shouldn't be afraid, my fears don't make sense because Jesus, you know. Um, like that, all, whatever is in that might be true. But try to go through the fear to get there instead of around it. Try to bring what you find to Jesus, to walk with him through the darkness. Our question today, why are you so afraid, comes, with, uh, comes to us in the context of a storm. Jesus had asked the disciples to go across 
the lake with him, and halfway there, a storm kicks up. And apparently, the sea is particularly prone to like sudden and violent storms um, because it's really shallow and I don't really know. At any rate, the disciples were terrified. And since most of them are fishermen, we can trust their terror uh, that this was worthy of being scared. And of course, Jesus was napping uh, through the thing, which is funny. The text makes the point to say he was sleeping on a pillow. Uh, it's like the picture of relaxation. Um, the first question of the text is actually from the disciples. They're terrified of the storm, and they ask Jesus, don't you care if we drown? Now, is that not so often our question to God? Don't you even care? I wonder if they expected Jesus to do a miracle, or if they just wanted him to grab an oar. And they'd seen him cure people already, and they'd seen him cast out some demons, but never to deal with the bad weather. Um, their question, too, is more of an accusation, right? Like, don't you even care about us, but you can't really blame them. They're all like, all hands on deck, Jesus, please put away your pillow. Uh, (laughs) And of course, Jesus does more than help out, right? He rebukes the storm, tells it to quiet down in the very same language that he uses to deal with the demons, whatever that means. And everything settles, it stills. Only then, when the threat has passed, does Jesus ask his piercing question, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Why are they so afraid? Because they don't really know who it is that they have asleep in the boat. Because they don't really know what it meant to be in a storm with Jesus. Because they don't want to die because they don't know if they can handle the storm on their own, because they don't know what they would find in the watery depths of the sea. Why are you so afraid? I spent some time this last week asking myself the question and trying to follow my answers down to the depths of my fear, and I did not like it. Uh, I was surprised by how much I did not like it. I consider myself like pretty adept at doing my inner work. Um, I was surprised by the resistance I felt in myself. And I think that's because, um, maybe this is true for you, but I think we don't often examine the things that we're really scared of because it's actually really scary. Um, this week I was reminded of uh, one of Ellen's Facebook questions, if you're in the Sherman Street Facebook group, community group. If you're not, tell us and we'll get you in there. Uh, But if you're in it, um, often Ellen has like a prompt, puts out a prompt for us to answer. Um, And one of the questions she asked, I think last month was, what is something you're afraid of? I remember seeing the question and immediately thinking, people are not gonna write what they're really afraid of. Uh, (laughs) And I said, of course I thought that because I was not going to write what I was really afraid of. Um, I tried to come up with something that was like kind of a minor fear Uh, but I just couldn't, I think I didn't answer at all, uh, because I couldn't come up with something that wasn't like too much for a Facebook group. Um, I think we don't often approach our deepest fears because they are actually very frightening. They make us feel vulnerable, like children, unable to protect ourselves. 
um, in conflict resolution work, I have learned that people often don't even know what they're really upset about, um, and usually at the bottom of their concern is some kind of fear. Um, I took a mediation class in college, and uh, one of the exercises that we did was about um, getting people below what they said they cared about. Like, people always come into a conflict with this, like, I'm mad about X, Y, and Z. Uh, and usually below that, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that they might not even know. Um, so we did this exercise trying to help figure out what's below that, because um, it's often the heart of the conflict. And so this, she, our teacher gave us this, our professor gave us this simple exercise. Um, all you have to do is keep asking the question, well, what would happen if that happened? Um, and when you've answered that, you ask again, well, what would happen if that happened? Uh, we had partners in our cl class, and I think I went first. I remember that it was like some kind of benign concern. I can't remember what it was, like probably failing some midterm or something. Uh, I mean, that's not benign. That feels huge, but I guess I have some distance. Anyway, um, so my partner asked me, well, what would happen if that happened? And I answered, and she asked again. I think it only took like four before I said something like, well, my father would be disappointed with me. And I was like, oh, well, that was surprising that that was what was there. And then after that, well, what would happen if your father was disappointed with you? Then the fear becomes sort of irrational. Like, I'm not sure. I think maybe I would cease to exist. Um, and that's kind of funny, but it's also like not a joke because, <laughs> because that's where my fears go, is to oblivion. Um, and there's something about that that I feel deeply in my body. Like I, I, used to, um, I used to dissociate when I would fight with Tony, which is like, we don't need to get into what that is, but like reaccessing trauma, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and it used to happen all the time when we would fight. And as we talked about it, I learned that like, I felt like if I got trapped in a, in a conversation, like I didn't feel like I had a way to go, I started to feel like my body would disintegrate. Like... That is so nuts, and that's totally, like, it shaped me. Um, or like this week, um, I went through <laughs> being embarrassed. I am deeply scared of being embarrassed, and especially being mocked behind my back. And so then what would happen if I was? Like, I would feel shame. Well, what would happen if I felt shame? I would want to hide. And what would happen if I hid? Well, I might never come out. And there it is again. I am terrified of being trapped in the darkness. And of course, like, no amount of embarrassment is ever going to actually trap me in the darkness forever. <laughs> but that shapes so many of my interactions anyway. I see some of you nodding, so I know some of you can relate. Maybe some of you just think I'm nuts. That's fine. <laughs> I bet, even those of you who think I'm nuts, I bet if you were to follow your fears, you would find something similar. Something that is not so different from the watery depths that the disciples were afraid of. Maybe uh, you don't think it's important to do that kind of introspection. Um, it's certainly a problem if that's the only thing you do. Um, I think it's also a problem if we don't do it, um, if we avoid it. We are ruled by the things in our hearts that go unexamined. And of course, Jesus asked this question of his disciples in a moment when it was very clear what they were afraid of, right? Like, duh, the storm. 
Maybe he wanted them to look a little deeper. The defensiveness may be our first answer, um, but what if we hear this question as an invitation to see ourselves truly and clearly right along with Jesus, who already sees it? When we resist giving quick answers, papering over it too lightly, when we go all the way to the bottom of our fears, sink into the depths of that proverbial sea, we might be surprised what we find, um, especially as our faith begins to touch on those dark places. Um, I used to recite this Gerard Manley Hopkins poem to myself um, when I was particularly scared of the darkness in myself. Um, this was when I was pretty significantly depressed. Um, it's based off of Psalm 24, and it is about Jesus entering into hell. It says, O death, death, he is come. O grounds of hell, make room. Who came from further than the stars now comes as low beneath. Thy ribbed ports, O death, make wide. And thou, O Lord of sin, lay open thine estates. Lift up your heads, O gates. Be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors. The King of glory will come in. O death, death, he is come. O grounds of hell, make room. The King of glory will come in. What if the king of glory can enter into that darkness and still the storms there too? Um, I was surprised as I followed one of my fears this week. Um, right now, I'm quite scared of getting sick. Uh, not necessarily COVID, not actually COVID at all, but every spring, um, I get this weird set of symptoms that doctors can't figure out what to do with. I get, my hands go numb and I get like extreme brain fog uh, and I get really, really tired every spring for the last five years or so. I've had some testing and they don't know what it is. Like, maybe it's just allergies or maybe it's stress or maybe it's MS. Like, well, I don't know. Um, <laughs> and anyway, it's starting now. So every once in a while I wake up with numb hands and I'm scared. And so I try to follow the fear down. Um, what would happen if it never went away? And what would happen and what would happen? And you know, some of it was embarrassing and revealing, like then maybe I'll never do anything important. And then no one will look up to me, <laughs> which is silly. And what would happen if no one looked up to me? And here's the quote I wrote in my journal. Then maybe I'd be at the bottom. I meant like the bottom of society, the lowest social rung then maybe I'd be at the bottom. Then maybe I wouldn't accomplish anything. And then, and here's what surprised me, maybe I could rest and be happy. Then maybe all that would be left is joy. I was like, whoa, I did not expect to write that. But like, if I stop striving all the time, maybe I could just love people and love life. Like, I found Jesus down at the bottom. And I'm, like, I'm still scared of being sick. Like, I'm not fixed. <laughs> Despite this, like, profound experience, you know. Uh, there's a quote that I tried to look up who said it, but it's been attributed to every person in the world. So, uh, <laughs> it says, 
the longest journey is the distance from your head to your heart. Like, I'm still scared. Um, it reminds me of this statue of Eve at Meyer Gardens. You've probably heard me talk about it before because it had such an impact on me. Uh, she is naked, and she's, like, she's still in the garden. But she has, like, one hand covering her body and one hand, like, shielding her from God. Um, like, the fall has just happened. It's this picture of the fear and shame that came along with sin. And what struck me so much is how she's so beautiful. Um, and then, of course, I know the other side of God's journey with humanity. And I just, I saw her and I just wanted to shout at her and, of, co of course, at myself. Like, you don't have to be scared. It's okay. Like, you have been created with such care. You are beautiful and beloved. When you hid, God came and found you. When you were ashamed, God covered that shame. He has done it all. You can take down your hands. You can stand up straight. It's no wonder that do not be afraid is one of the most repeated phrases in Scripture. It's all over the Gospel of Mark. One writer pointed out that in the story, there is no point in the storm in which Jesus is not present. God was with them just as much when the storm raged as when it was calmed. They just didn't really know. God's presence may not have been as clear as they would have liked, and God certainly wasn't doing exactly what they wanted but God was with them the whole time. In our, like, dog-eat-dog, might-is-right world shaped by fear and shame, our fears actually make a lot of sense. But in the kingdom that Jesus ushers in, the kingdom of the mustard seed and the kingdom of the cross and the empty tomb, they don't make much sense at all. In God's kingdom, perfect love casts out fear. In God's kingdom, the last are first and the first are last, and we gain our life by losing it. In God's kingdom, we can journey all the way down to the watery depths and find Jesus there. Find instead of a dead end, instead of the terrifying aloneness of hell, we find that we are not alone and that there is a door there to life and to love and to joy. Like we might not always be able to get there. You know, maybe we're too afraid to try. Or maybe we're so caught up in the storm right now that there just is not time to be answering those kinds of questions. Or maybe we go all the way down and we just find more fear. Or maybe we go all the way down and we find Jesus, but we can't make that sense of solace stick. And all that's okay all of it because Jesus is there through it all anyway Jesus calms the storm before the disciples have got anything figured out he's there whether they realize it or not in fact by the end of the story their fear is worse than in the storm because now they're not sure who this man is but the beauty of it all is that it's just not up to us 
God is gracious because God is gracious. And whether we learn to trust that and find the freedom that we've been offered, or whether we just continue to struggle, God continues to be gracious. Throughout the scripture, water is often, the scriptures, water is often a sign of chaos. Um, and God is present in it and works with it, right? So in the beginning, the spirit hovered over the waters of chaos and from that mess created life and order. For the Israelites, God made a way through the waters of the Red Sea. In the Gospels, we see Jesus walking on water and stilling the terrifying storm. And in Psalm 139, we hear the promise that even if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. In our question this week, we have the invitation to follow our fears into their murky depths. And maybe we will be surprised what we find. But no matter what we find or if we go looking at all, the King of Glory is already there. Please pray with me. Lord, you are above the waters and in the storm and on the placid sea and down, way down in the depths. Lord, wherever we are today, may we know your presence with us. May we have courage to see um, those fearful things and to walk through them and find you there. That as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we might fear no evil, for you are with us. In Jesus' name, amen.